The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online live around the world on wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm Brett Rutherford here filling in for Dave Tisnes, and I'm joined by Luke Hazen. So we've got two former Tomahawk Talk hosts back in the studio. Guess who's back? Not just us, but also Tom Brady. Luke, I mean, I, I can't think of a better time for us to fill in for the spring break show than the day after the long-awaited return of the GOAT, Tom Brady. Tom Brady is back, and his retirement lasted longer, shorter than the MLB lockout, Brett. It's unbelievable. For a lot of us loyal, loyal Bucks fans that were tuned in on every little rumor, every little conversation that was happening within the organization um, and outside the organization with even like Tom's relatives, we're, we're talking about how he really hasn't made a decision yet. Um, it's all led to this point with Tom announcing yesterday. Uh, while I was at the, it was funny. I'll take you to the exact moment where I found out that Tom Brady uh, was coming back. I was at the players tournament yesterday for round three because it got uh, pushed back because mm-hmm. of weather. Yeah. And you would not believe the murmuring that started as soon as that tweet by Adam, I think it was, well, first Brady it was Tom Brady, and yeah. then Adam Schefter and company broke the news, and that got out, word got out there. Were you um, worried that he was hacked? Like, because we, we just saw Jeff Passan get hacked in the middle of, like, the climax of labor negotiations. I was My first th- thought was, like, I hope this was not someone, ha- like, an NFT you're talk- account. You're, you're talking about Tom Brady getting right, hacked. Right, right. No, if, FTX coin was not going to hack yeah. their their own own client and spokesperson there, but it was unbelievable. You never know. Like, these, these crazy times, like, you never know. Um, right. So first off, before we get into Brady, I want to hear a little bit more about your experience at, at the players. Yeah, it, it was absolutely unbelievable. It was very, very cold to start the day. I still have you know wind chill around my lips, and and I had to layer up. It was freezing to start the day, and then as the sun came out, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I forgot sunscreen, so I, I showed up to to the station here sunburnt. Um, it was a surreal experience. That being my first golf tournament or professional golf tournament that I'd ever been at. I got a chance to walk around with John Rahm. Uh, I got to see Cam Smith, who just won the players yeah. just, a, just a moment ago. Really, really amazing stuff. Getting to see professionals at their craft and something that um, in a sport that you have experience in, but you've never gotten to see professionals up close playing. And there was, I'll take you, for example, there was a shot by John Rahm that was under, it was under a tree on pine straw Every single time I would ever have a uh, a shot like that, I'm kicking it back out into the fairway. There's no chance I'm going for any <laughs> any sort of shot down uh, towards the green. John Rom easy picks it clean, at least 200 yards uh, for what would be a quote unquote layup for him right off the green, playing it safe. Uh, Bubba Watson style, just finding ways to get yes. out of those difficult situations. Yes, and I think the 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 best moment of the day was being right on the tee box when Justin Thomas. Gary uh, Gary Putnick's favorite player, yeah. long time relationship with him. <laughs> Shout out to Gary. Um, I got to see him tee off right, like I was parallel with him. I sent a video to our group chat that we have for the radio station. Um, but it was it was just incredible uh, getting to be amongst amongst the crowds there. It's like a huge party with any golf tournament. I feel like you go uh, or any golf tournament that you go to, but especially the players and the waste management open. 
I think, are two that are really, really uh, just a party all day long. For those, awesome. for, for those of you, you know, we're a day after Selection Sunday. I'm sure a lot of you are tuned in expecting college basketball talk. Don't worry. Stay right there. The second half reserved for all college basketball, both Florida State women's basketball, who received an at-large bid to the tournament yesterday, and also the men's bracket, even though Florida State's not included. We're going to kind of dive into our picks for that. We're also going to be joined by our producer, Scott Clemens, and a Florida State women's basketball radio play-by-play announcer and former host of Tomahawk Talk, Ari Masudi, is going to join in the second half to kind of talk about what the path is for Florida State to try and advance through the national tournament. But we're, we've reserved this first half for all the other news that's been happening in the world of sports because it, it's really been nonstop, and it was capped off by Tom Brady announcing that he is coming out of retirement, like you said, was not a very long retirement for at least one more season. And mm-hmm. he was... Over the weekend, he was in Manchester to see Manchester United uh, and Tottenham play. It was like a ex- really exciting 3-2 game. Man U pulled off the win. Cristiano Ronaldo, arguably another GOAT uh, in, in his respective sport, scored a hat trick. And there was a video of Ronaldo. Did you see this? Oh, yeah. Ronaldo and Brady talking on the pitch after the game. And Ronaldo clearly asked him, like, you're finished, right? You're done. And Tom Brady, it was kind of debatable what he said. But he shrugged. You could kind of see in his face like, yeah, he was a little indecisive. I watched it back again today, and I think he said one more. I think he said one more. He, he made a little shrug and face like, eh, yeah, one may, more. Maybe one more. And the, the he was there with some of the Glazer family who owns both. Manchester I was going to point out, it's, it's, it was very peculiar. I think it was Saturday that they, that they attended. And um, a bunch of people point out like, hey. By the way, like the Glazers own this team too. Tom Brady keeps hanging around uh, any team that the that the Glazers own, and then you get that video from from uh, Ronaldo that kind of makes the rounds on on Sunday morning, um, asking if Brady's finished. And then right after that, Tom Brady announces that he's coming back. And I think part of that the the timing was important because we're the start of free agency. Apparently, hearing from Bruce Arians, Jason, like these conversations have been happening, and like they haven't been happening for weeks, Correct. but they've been happening for days. You've had the Bucks. Uh, potentially involved in Deshaun Watson trade talks. Bruce Arians now saying that the, it was never going to happen. Now, that's easy to say when you've already right. got Tom Brady back. It's easy to say, no, we weren't going after the quarterback that was uh, you know, j- just uh, facing a grand jury and potentially going to be charged with sexual assault. No, we weren't going after him. We had we have Tom Brady. Um, but this was a central timing. You saw the Bucks already re-upped with their center, Ryan Jensen, on a new three-year deal. They just moments ago signed Carlton Davis to an extension. He had entered free agency. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uncertainty surrounding the Bucks. One of their other offensive linemen retired, but under below the age of thirty. Ali Marpet. Yeah. Um, th- there was a lot of uncertainty for the Bucks. You know, outside of, even outside of the quarterback position. So first, before we get into some of the free agency news, some of the trades and everything else that's been going on in the NFL since the start of the offseason, let's talk about what the return of Tom Brady means for the NFC playoff picture and for you know the teams that are in Super Bowl contention because the Bucks were maybe you know probably still. Had a good chance of making the postseason next year, no matter who they got at quarterback. Correct. But now they're right back in it as Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I I think this ultimately elevates them back up to the top of the conference, hands down. I think that they're in a better, like like you said, they were in a great position with whoever was going to be quarterback. That The ability of Jason Light and company to construct a roster and, and, and build it and keep it stocked full of talent uh, over the last couple years has been second to none in the NFL and it's part of the reason why Brady joined in the first place and that was always going to be the case no matter who their quarterback was going in uh, into next season so I do think that they're they are in as good a position as any uh, the Bucks and the Rams I would say are the 
are the top two teams to look out for in the NFC with the Packers probably right behind them. And then who who else knows? Because every I think it's a given in this league now. You're not going to win a Super Bowl without a superbly talented quarterback at, at the at the helm. And every single one seems to be flocking towards the AFC. Just an absolute mad dash for for quarterbacks there. And the NFC is kind of stuck with who? Dak Prescott? Uh, maybe Deshaun Watson in the near future, though. If he Deshaun enters, Watson, correct. If Deshaun Watson goes to the New Orleans Saints, I think they, even though the cap problems they've got, they've still got a roster that is a quarterback away from being maybe not at the same level of that, that Tier 1 where we'd go Packers, Bucks, Rams, but they'd probably lead Tier 2. Correct. Uh, I will say that if the if the Saints get Deshaun Watson, I think that the, there's a good possibility that the Saints win their win the division yeah. over the Bucks for whatever reason. Not for whatever reason. There's a there's a ton of reasons why the Saints are just fantastic at game planning against the Buccaneers and adding an elite level quarterback in Deshaun Watson to that roster. I think puts them over the top to contend. It's in a the big NFC. if though because the yeah, Panthers are it's in. A big if. Miami's still a possibility. Correct and. and and there's still a suspension on the table for Deshaun Watson. He probably will be suspended for some for some time, even though nothing came back from yeah. from those allegations. Um, but yeah, I think the Bucks are are right back where they were. It's funny you talk about the uncertainty that kind of faced this team heading into the offseason. It was the same exact sort of scenario last offseason when they were coming off their Super Bowl, where it, they had a ton of talented free agents that they could or not bring back. Ultimately, it was the Brady effect that kept a lot of them there to contend for another Super Bowl, and it's the same thing now. As you see, Carlton Davis getting re-signed, Chris Godwin's going to be back. Uh, everyone was kind of riding off the Bucks, thinking that their talented players wouldn't come back, and uh, and Brady's back now, and so is the rest of the team. I do, and they're only going to make more moves, I think. I, I do think you have to treat this now, though, with the Bucks, and we'll move on. We'll cover. I know we're both Bucks fans here, but we'll cover. We'll talk about <clears throat> everyone else in the NFL. Uh, with the Bucks, I thought last year, throughout most of the year, you're thinking this window's still open for at least two more years. Then he goes and retires at the end of the season. I do think this is probably it for Brady. Really? You think so? Yeah. I, well, and we'll see what the contract looks like. I think it'll be a new contract, another two-year deal, uh, just to kind of move cap money around. We'll see how he looks. Because what, the one thing I'll say about Brady is he played at an MVP caliber the entire season. He was second behind Aaron Rodgers. Debatable whether or not Aaron Rodgers should have actually won that. It could have gone to either of them. Mm-hmm. But there were certain days... And, and against certain defense where, like, Brady's arm just wasn't there. Now, over the course of the season, he was healthy, he was fine, he looked like the Tom Brady that we've seen for the last, now, 23 seasons. But there were certain days, and maybe even the first half of that Rams game, where you're like, he's missing throws that he never misses. That Washington game, there were a couple other stinkers in there. And I'm kind of curious to see, like, were those weeks weeks he were ba- he was banged up? Do those weeks become more, you know, frequent now that he enters the year 23? Let, let me ask you, though, um, about the struggles, especially in the Rams game. Do you do you really think that that had a lot to do with Brady, or do you think that was personnel issues? Because by the end of the year for the Bucks, it was literally Mike Evans and everyone else, and you could tell that the Rams were just feasting on the fact that the Bucks had no one that could gain separation. That's fair. Uh, and Brady got and I think that if Brady now that Brady is back, I do think that there were assurances that had to be made for him to come back and improve. Not only the roster as a whole, but especially in the receiving department. I would not be surprised if they made another move for someone like Jarvis Landry yeah. that just got released, or a Juju Smith-Schuster, someone that can fill in that role that Chris Godwin usually takes uh, to kind of again big gifts though because Godwin's out for half the year. You know, there's going to be injuries, and you look at Brady in the younger years, he was able to turn these receivers, and even even that first year when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, guys like Scotty Miller, who we come to find out, like okay, he's not a great NFL wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He had a great run in the postseason and late in that year, but you know you've got to use him in the right spots. 
yeah, it's going to be at the start of the year, Evans, who's next? You know, do they draft a receiver in the first round? How healthy is Godwin going to be? How healthy is Gronk going to be, assuming Gronk does oh, yeah. come I back with the Bucks? Yeah, I think he's back. There's still a lot of question marks, and Brady, at the age of now, he'll be 45. Uh, you know, it's there's those question marks still remain. You know, can if can the Bucks go get Jarvis, Land, Jarvis Landry? Do they draft a, a Chris Olave or a, a Jamison Williams, another guy with injury problems? I don't know. Like, I, I, I again, Brady was the best option for the Bucks at quarterback for next season. It, you know, unless in terms of just specifically play, you got Deshaun Watson probably, but he's even been off for a year. We don't know what he's going to look like. Right. We don't know what he's going to look like with an, in a new system, uh, with new teammates. Um, so Brady was the best option, and Jason Light's now acquired Tom Brady twice on two separate occasions. Tom Brady has chosen the Bucks twice, the Patriots zero times. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, let, let's kind of move around looking at the rest of the NFL. There's been a ton of moves in free agency, mm-hmm. but a move that happened last week, Russell Wilson traded from the Seattle Seahawks to the Denver Broncos. It's the end of an era for Seattle. It was something that maybe the Band-Aid should have been pulled off a year ago, yeah. and they waited, and it didn't work out this year. I know he had some injury problems, but now they finally pull the plug. They're kind of reshaping their franchise. They released Bobby Wagner. Before we talk about how Russ impacts the AFC West, what does Seattle do from here? Does, does Pete Carroll have a future of success in Seattle, or is this kind of the end of the road for all the names we've kind of come to know over there in the Pacific Northwest? It's it's so weird to think about the Seahawks because for a while we've seen them as this respectable franchise that consistently makes the postseason year in and year out with Russell Wilson, and then... You know, as you start to lose that talent and and rip off some of those band aids and look under the hood, you realize that some of their decision making over the course of the last I don't know five to seven years for the Seahawks have been really really flawed in the way that they've constructed their team and the way that they run their offense around Russell Wilson. I think whoever steps in at quarterback for the Seahawks next, and I do think Pete Carroll is going to stay there. I think that he he I don't know if he's earned the decision, but from the from an outside source looking in, it looks like he's earned the decision to walk away or not. That's just how I see it. I don't think that they're going to fire him before he decides to retire. I don't know when he's going to retire. But it just seems like whoever steps in at quarterback is never, ever going to get the full reins that the quarterback probably should, and especially a quarterback like Russell Wilson should. And that's part of the reason why I think Russell Wilson uh, forced his way out was because he knew that he was never going to have uh, the power in that offense to create the, and maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe Russell Wilson doesn't always have the best tendencies uh, outside of the pocket or, or the best decision-making. Um, but I think for too long in Seattle, it was this really, really tense relationship where Pete Carroll would never let Russell Wilson uh, cook. cook. <laughs> <laughs> he would never let him cook the way that Russ wanted to or the way that the Seahawks probably needed to if they were going to improve upon their early success in Seattle. Um, yeah. And that's just unfortunate because outside of Russell Wilson, the roster has really deteriorated, um, and I don't I don't know where Seattle goes from here. What about you? Well, what about Denver? Let's talk about Denver because yeah. this is now a division where I think you can comfortably say the best quarterback division in the NFL. Yes. You've got Pat Mahomes, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert. Correct. And, and besides Wilson, and, and Carr is getting a little older too, these are all relatively young players that have many years left in them. Are the Broncos contenders in that division and in the conference? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I thought the Broncos, from a roster standpoint, were really, really similar to what the Bucks brought to the table yeah. when Tom Brady came. Talent all across with guys like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, even even receivers like Tim Patrick. Like They have talent on that offense. To go along with a, a, a growing defense uh, on the other side, I like the Broncos probably not as much as the Chiefs. 
but I like him better than the Chargers, especially with Russell yeah. Wilson now. And I like him better than the Raiders, who seem to, you know, they caught fire last last year. It was a great story. But there is a ceiling on what you can do with Derek Carr, where I don't, like, going into next season with the Broncos, I have no idea what their ceiling can be with Russell Wilson. Chargers just re-upped the, their defense. They added J.C. Jackson. Jackson. Like, and, and a defense that and even re-signed they Mike Williams, yeah. might not have had the success last year. You look at the talent they have. Like if, if Derwin James is fully healthy in in, the, mm-hmm. in in Bosa, like that's a that's a defense that you have to really pay attention to in the AFC. The thing about this division is they're all going to take wins from each other. I don't mm-hmm. see many teams in the coming years taking you know going two and zero. Like it's going to happen, but like you know the the Chiefs are going to lose on the road in LA. They're going to lose on the road in Denver. You know, maybe Oakland or Vegas comes in and, and takes a win in Kansas City. These teams are going to beat each other up. And so with that being said, yeah, maybe the Raiders don't have a shot. But you look at these three other teams, and I'm thinking any of them can win the division in any given year. I think I think another thing to point out with the Chargers, too, and why I think that their season looks promising, too, despite what I just said about Denver being better than them, I think when you have a head coach as smart as Brandon Staley that assesses every aspect of his team, he is going to learn from what happened last season, absolutely. And I think it, the Chargers, as good as any team in the league, is going are going to adapt. And if Justin Herbert takes that next step in his decision making and just his overall leadership ability, I think that the Chargers are, are primed to be right there with the Chiefs for the next decade. It seems. Yeah. Whereas with the Broncos, I don't know how long of a window they really have with Russell Wilson uh, on the back end of thirty. Um, but we've seen, obviously, Tom Brady's now 45, and Russell Wilson is right behind Tom Brady in terms of how he, he takes care of his body. Yeah. So I, I can see three of the four teams in that division winning. I would probably still say the Chiefs are the team to beat, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's let's talk about Mitch Trubisky going to Pittsburgh. Um, okay. It's expected to be the starter, and I think that's the the, the story here. With all the quarterbacks that were potentially available, ranging from guys like free agents like Jameis Winston, guys available via trade, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, um, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, all these names that were kind of thrown around as the next potential Steelers starter. Because Steelers are like synonymous with head coaching consistency and, and, and consistency at, in Super Bowls, right? And even though they're not a great football team, they've got some really talented players, I think, on both sides of the ball, including T.J. Watt. Um, and they still have Mike Tomlin. I'm looking at all the quarterbacks that they potentially could have gotten. Mitch, Mitch Trubisky seems like like a swing and a miss here out of all the potential guys that were on the market. Yeah. I I think that what this signals for the Steelers is a transition period, to say the least. I yeah. think if they if they were serious about competing, they would have tried to make it look a little better and sign someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. That Right, that was Garoppolo was the other name. Yeah. Correct. I think that Garoppolo would would have actually fit what Matt Canada is trying to do with that offense better than what Mitch Trubisky can do. And, you know, Mitch Trubisky, I think it is a a transition period where they're going to see what they have in him. They probably won't be contending with Baltimore or Cincinnati or even Cleveland. We'll see what Cleveland does at quarterback. Um, But it it gives off the appearance of semi-competing, the idea of, of going out and getting a former starter, a former number two overall pick, um, but it's just very, well, I think very... it's a fine backup, and I even on his un- best, th- a fine NFL quarterback, a fine starter. Right, but it's just an uninspiring right. you know, signing from a, from a team that we've come to, to view as one of the most professional organizations in football. There are no Steelers fans that are like going to bed tonight like, oh, I'm so excited to have no. Mitch Trubisky at the helm. No, not at all. But at the same time, 
I wonder how many Steelers truthers are there. I know John Ledger, who covers who covers yeah. uh, who covers the Bucks now, but he covered the Steelers for a long time, and he's a huge Steelers fan. Secretly, I think a lot of Steelers truthers are are kind of pumping their fists, saying, "Yes, finally, like it's not we're not trying to go all out just to win ten games and maybe make the playoffs." Like there there are some serious issues in Pittsburgh that need to be addressed. It might start with head coach. I don't know that Mike Tomlin's ever going to leave. Uh, Again, like that that ownership doesn't like. And, and Tomlin right. has earned that that yeah. spot. But at what point are you hurting the future of your franchise? And I'm not saying Tomlin's a bad coach, but he's been there a long time, like a lot longer than most head coaches stay in jobs in the NFL. Sometimes you just need a fresh voice. I still think the Steelers are like a team that's capable of making the postseason. But okay. like you said, are they See, a team I... that, that that you think can advance in the postseason? Are you right. are they a team like yeah maybe they're they're the last wild card with the expanded playoffs. But I don't see them in the next five years as Super Bowl contenders. Not at all. Unless something really massive changes. I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know what the, the Trubisky deal was, but maybe they find a way to still pull off a Deshaun Watson trade. Yeah, I think it's it's still to be determined what the, the length and the, the number is on the Trubisky contract. But I don't know. I, I, I look at it and I, I see it as waving the white flag, at least for next year, and sort of assessing their needs at quarterback. I do like them going out and getting a, a kind of a prove it deal from Mitch Trubisky rather than reaching for a, a franchise quote unquote franchise quarterback right. um, in uh, in the later stages yeah. of the draft. In the draft this year, I think a lot of teams are realizing there is no franchise quarterback in the draft this year. Yeah. Maybe one of them turns into one, but there's not a can't miss guy like Malik Willis is like mocked to go the highest. Kenny Pickett, you know, there's all this talk about the at the combine about the size of his hands. There's not a lot. There's not a guy that you really envision stepping in and being a starter in year one or year two. Maybe a guy like Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett develops into that. But the quarterback carousel for guys that are already established, or a guy like Mitch Trubisky, um, is is where these teams are looking for these options. And I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to pan out. There's still a lot of movement. I don't know. Could you see a scenario where like Jimmy G stays in San Fran, or do they have to move him now? I th- I think that they have to move him considering everything that that. That has been talked about over the last. Give me a give me a spot, a landing spot for him. <sighs> Indianapolis. Yeah. Indianapolis does not have a quarterback yet, and I think that he fits the mold of what Indianapolis tries to run through. I think he's a, I think he's a better decision maker than Carson Wentz at times. Let's talk Carson... about Carson Wentz before we oh, wrap okay, up football. Okay, okay. Carson Wentz going to Washington, another trade. That's another team with talented players on both sides of the ball. You look at Terry McLaurin, the a great talented young receiver. Mm-hmm. Chase Young on, on on defense. Does Carson Wentz keep Washington? in the conversation in that division. I I don't hate it as much as other people did to be completely honest. With you. I like, I thought Indy should have kept him for another year. Let it play out with the roster they had. I didn't yeah, I didn't see I I know that it was a disastrous finish to the season for the Colts. There's no doubt about it. But I don't know. I I like this move more than a, a lot of people killed the 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 football the not the football the team, commanders the commanders. Now, yeah. Um then they give him credit for I like their prospects more than Philly at this point. With Jalen Hurts, I Fair. like their prospects more than uh, maybe not as much as Dallas, um, but certainly the Giants. Giants are going nowhere, so I think that it keeps Washington competitive for a playoff spot. To say and yeah. like you said, that they have talent everywhere else, and it's not like Carson Wentz is the worst quarterback in the league. So right, um, I I am cautious about this this signing. I don't think that the Commanders are going to make the postseason anyway, but I'm not going to kill Washington for trying to remain competitive with a proven starter in the league that yeah. is prone to making mistakes. Getting a franchise quarterback easier said than done, right? Like there's Correct. only so many. There's a lot of quarterbacks to go around, 
But it's like, okay, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo, is that the guy we want to put all our stock in? Deshaun Watson, who at that time, you know, may, could have been indicted with with, with uh, criminal charges, mm-hmm. could face a massive suspension. Is that the guy we want to put our trips towards? Especially with the history of that franchise and, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff they're still going through with uh, Dan Snyder at the helm. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of news, and I'm sure uh, there'll be more news throughout the offseason that, that Gabe and William can kind of keep everybody in the loop on. Before we go to break, let's talk about Major League Baseball. It's the first show oh, yeah. since the labor negotiations have ended. Spring training has started, and we're going to have a season. It's going to start on April 7th, and the moves are coming fast and furious. We're also getting a lot of the injury news that you get at the start of spring training. Today we found out uh, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. with the San Diego, San Diego Padres has a fractured wrist. He's going to miss at least three months starting today, yep. uh, might undergo surgery. Come to find out, motorcycle accident. Multiple. Yeah. Tati said, said which, one? which one? That's unbelievable. That's absolutely unbelievable, Brett, from your starting franchise. He is the face of the league. He's yeah. the face of the league, and he's going out and getting injured on multiple. He didn't get injured on multiple, but he's he's risking his career, potentially, and this with is motorcycle after rides. he's inked the extension. Yes, I can't believe that there wasn't a clause in there prohibiting him from it's like usually, driving motorcycles. Yeah, usually these teams know like what their guys like, what the hobbies they're they're involved in. A lot of players in pro sports that aren't basketball players or any of the basketball players say you cannot play basketball because of the risk to your knees. Right, and the fact that this was not a part of like there was no discussion. If I'm San Diego, I'm I'm pissed. Right, I'm i if I'm AJ Preller, I'm pissed too. It seems like. That's been one of the things holding them back. I know last year, Tatis just can't stay on the field, and this is only... I know that it's very differing circumstances, but it just seems to be this this looming thing over the Padres in that their postseason prospects kind of ride on this guy being the best player in baseball, and he can't seem to stay healthy, and he's not going to be healthy for the first three months of the season. It's brutal for a team that... Is, is looking to rebound after what was a really, really disappointing season. They last collapsed year. last year. They were seen as Dodgers 1A, Padres 1B. We did multiple episodes. You and Sebastian talked yeah. about it. Sebastian and I talked about it. We, we all talked about, oh, who can we see winning this division? Well, it was the Giants. Right. Shout out to Farhan Zaidi who and company. Who keep getting better. They just added like three Carlos or four Rodon, more pitchers. Carlos Martinez. Shout out Jacob Eunice, former yes. Ray. They did get rid of Caleb uh, Bar- Barragar, Barriger, which I was a little upset with. They DFA'd him. But um, yeah, they're, they're re-upping Carlos the Martinez. Padres, though this was the season they kind of needed to prove everybody wrong. After what we saw go down, their manager was fired. They fired their pitching coach with like a month left to go in the season, and they were still in postseason contention. Yeah. Yeah, this had, is not the way camp should have started for them. No, you had you, and it just—I don't know whether it's it, it comes off as as the Padres being insecure right now and kind of in flux about where they really are as a franchise. But you had like they tried to make moves last year too, like Adam, like trading for Adam Frazier. Was that did that move really accomplish anything? They still have Eric Hosmer over there at first. They're, that, tr- they're trying aggressively to get rid of him and Will Myers. They're gonna have to try really hard because it, I don't no see one, either no of those one, any teams want to take on those contracts. With those players, no, and so it's a, it's a really awful piece of news for for a team that already was kind of questioning where they really stand in Major League Baseball right now, um, and it sucks for baseball fans too. Yeah, it's like show you know we look at the league and it's Shohei and it's Fernando, one A and one B really, and we're gonna miss Fernando for for and we get Wander Franco for a full season. This yes, year. yes, we do. Uh, before we go to break, though, twelve team postseason in baseball. We don't have time to kind of break down all the nitty gritty details from the new CBA, but I think one that is worth talking about is an expanded postseason. It goes from ten to twelve. We had sixteen back in the COVID year, twenty twenty, and I, I was afraid that 
after these negotiations, the players are going to give in and you know settle for 14 or maybe even 16 teams in the postseason. I knew there was going to be postseason expansion, so the fact that it's 12, I was against any ex- uh, expansion, but the fact that we had to have it, I'm cool with 12. It is unfortunate, though, that the, so the top two division winners in each league get buys into the divisional series. Mm-hmm. The third team, the third, the third best record out of the three division winners is forced to play a three-game wild card series. What, what are your thoughts on that? So I like the expanded postseason for starters. I, I, I like there being 12. I like the expanded postseason during the COVID year. I think that the only thing that really limited was the fact that there weren't fans. I thought it would have been yeah. We had we would have had a couple of awesome series um, in Major League Baseball had had that been the case. Um, but I think this is just what is going to have to happen for Major League Baseball to to come together and and really expand their fan base. More postseason games a means more money for the league. It means more postseason baseball for us to watch, which is better for ratings and. I don't know. I, I'm I'm all for it. I think the NFL last season proved that more fo- more football is just be- like better football is just more football. I don't know. It eliminates the um, game uh, 160 or the wild card game. It also eliminates game which which kind of screwed over a lot of teams too. Right, right. But it did put more of an emphasis on winning your division. But at right. the same time, that emphasis still exists. You're going to buy if you're one of the top two division winners. Uh, the other thing it eliminates is game 163 tiebreakers, which I'm a little upset about. You know, fine, whatever. They don't happen that often anyways. Yeah. But I always liked in baseball, if there's a postseason spot on the line, we're not going to let it be decided by a tiebreaker. We're going to play a game of baseball and that's decide the, who goes through. Yeah, that's the, that's the one downside to it, I think, because I always like those game 163. But now it makes schedule. And, and we'll live. There's going to be a lot more exciting postseason baseball. These three-game series are going to be really intense. Um, the pressure is really going to be ramped up, and it's going to make for great TV. And you know, out of out of all the concessions that I thought I was going to have to make as a baseball fan this year, I can live with that. I'm just glad we're having a full season, even though it's going to be about a week and a half delayed. So we're going to to go to break, and on the other side, we'll be talking to Ari Masudi about Florida State women's basketball. And we're back on Samahawk Talk. This is Brett Rutherford and Luke Hazen. Now we're joined by play-by-play announcer for Florida State women's basketball and former host of Tomahawk Talk, it's Ari Masudi. Ari, what's going on, man? How are you, brother? Doing well, doing well. And it's March, and it's madness. But before we get to the basketball, I know you're also the host of the Sunday Gold podcast and Florida State baseball off to a hot start. They just took two of three in Winston-Salem against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, and tomorrow night they are in Gainesville to take on the Florida Gators. So before we get into Florida State women's hoops, Who's one player, for, for fans that maybe as basketball season winds down, they're just getting into baseball, who's one player on this Florida State team? Because I know there's been a lot of turnover that fans should keep their eye out for. And how do you think the team's going to do tomorrow night in Gainesville? Man, it's a, it's a tough question. Uh, just one player. Uh, the, the best one right now who has been the biggest newcomer, probably uh, Brett Roberts uh, from Tennessee Tech. Uh, he's been uh, maybe the best newcomer for Florida State, but I'd say just keep an eye on the entire weekend rotation. I mean, it's arguably the best in the country, and uh, they've proven that so far in the early part of the year. I mean, Bryce Hubbard, who you know, or Ross Dunn rather, who's you know maybe had a little bit of a of a shaky start. He dominated preseason and had 14 strikeouts on Sunday in that doubleheader. To be able to throw him out there on top of guys like Bryce Hubbard and Parker Messick, I mean, they really are going to be a threat in this conference. Without a doubt. I mean, I think you're you're looking at potentially having maybe three first-round draft picks uh, in your weekend rotation. And Carson Montgomery, who's going to start uh, in that game that you mentioned against the Gators, uh, might be a fourth. And so uh, it's, it's crazy for FSU to have this type of depth on the mound. And 
Um, they really compete with each other, and I think it's unfair for, for most opposing offenses to have to go up against uh, that quadrant. I know it's early in the season, but i got to ask, is, is this team Omaha-bound? Man, it's hard to say because seasons go, you know, they have so many peaks and valleys, and you could be a, a monster of a regular season and flame out in the regionals, or, you know, a couple years ago, Florida State, not very good in the regular season, made it by the skin of their teeth, and then heads to Omaha in 11 final years. So uh, I like the makeup of this team. I think it's got a shot, certainly, to make Omaha. Um, but I think you have to ask me that question in two months uh, when I have a better idea of where they're at. Definitely. I'll, I'll tell Gabe to give you a call and make sure you get back on the show as we get closer <laughs> For sure. uh, to the College World Series. But let's shift towards uh, Florida State women's basketball who received an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in the first four taking on Missouri State. Uh, Aria, I mean, first off, was, were, were you were, were you expecting Florida State to get that at-large bid? I know they were kind of on the bubble going into Selection Sunday. After they beat Boston College in the ACC tournament, I felt like we had a legitimate chance. Uh, but I would say if you had asked me, you know, three or four weeks ago, I would have said no way. Uh, where the way we were playing, where we were at, we were under 500 uh, overall on the year. And uh, I got to give credit to the ladies. They really stepped it up and, and made a run here. I think over their last, you know, the last 10 regular season games, they went eight and two. So uh, they earned their right to, to be in the tournament. And uh, once they were able to knock off some of the bubble teams, and uh, they, I think they beat Notre Dame and Georgia Tech uh, really in the in a couple weeks span and i think that ended up locking them a spot they're in the first four so they still got to prove their way uh in the tournament but uh they have earned the right what has it meant to this program having coach sue semerall back on on that bench and, and having her her voice i know she's such a big presence on campus but what has it meant to this team to have her back yeah it's meant everything and, and she's such a, a good coach i think she's a hall of famer uh, in the game uh for her to be able to come back and, and just kind of put her her touch on on what was missing last year and Brooke Wyckoff did such an outstanding job a year ago navigating COVID and, and getting the team to the tournament uh, but Coach Sue you know uh, it's a legend and uh, her ability to rally uh, a group of ladies and a, group, a locker room to, to give the to give their best uh, I thought was uh, remarkable and she deserves a lot of credit for having FSU back in March Madness. It's been really fun to watch her back on the bench doing her thing and you know, it was, a, it was a tough loss against a very, very talented NC State team in the ACC tournament, a team that's going to compete really to go all the way here in this national tournament. Is Florida State, are, are they able to, to kind of move past, you know, a blowout loss in the ACC tournament? They're going to have some time off. They're going to be well-rested. But do you think mentally are they able to to overcome that, that blowout? Yeah, I definitely do. I think everybody understood to beat NC State, you were going to have to play your best game of the season. And uh, you know, certainly we didn't do that, and, and NC State played really well. They just have so many weapons, shooters and uh, post players and, and, and veteran experience. So um, I certainly don't think that that was demoralizing in any way. Uh, if anything, um, I really do believe just getting in the tournament was kind of rejuvenating for this group who didn't know if they'd be in or out. And so uh, it's kind of a, a new hope, and we had to Baton Rouge and, and try and uh, play one game at a time, survive in advance. And, and Morgan Jones, you know, I know, I know she's the player on this team. Fourteen point one points per game. She's got a ton of experience in big moments. Though you probably know this roster more than most. Who's another player that Florida State can look to in those big moments where you know maybe Morgan Jones, uh, you know, she can dish the ball to somebody else. And who who would you trust to, to put up big shots in, in big moments in on this team? Uh, Omaria Gordon's a player that has really stepped up in her freshman year. 
Um, she's given you some really big games uh, throughout. She's an all-freshman ACC team member. And uh, Bianca Jackson's hit some big shots really for Florida State, you know, in their hot streak down the end of the stretch of the season. Uh, but, you know, I look at Valencia Myers, who's, you know, we hope to step up in the postseason and give you something down low. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, Morgan Jones is going to be counted on. And Tara Bajetti had 20 points uh, against NC State. So she might have found her scoring touch. But this is a team that's got to do it together. I think when we're at our best and we beat Notre Dame earlier this year, it was a top 20 team and we beat Georgia Tech. It wasn't any one player. Um, it was five or six players that were able to step in collectively and kind of play really good team basketball. Hey, Aria, this is uh, Scott chiming in for a little bit. I just have one uh, question. I'm looking at the bracket set up for the women's tournament right now, and sitting as a possible second-round matchup here for Florida State is Jackson State University. (laughs) How, considering everything that happened outside of women's basketball kind of between those two schools, what do you think is the likelihood that uh, Florida State fans get a little bit of a revenge matchup here in the uh, women's tournament? Calling it uh, the Travis Hunter Classic, I guess, <laughs> yes. if, if they if they meet up. But uh, I mean, that would be, I think it would, it would be an upset, right? If Jackson State was able to play Florida State, um, they would have to to knock off. I think if Florida State beats Missouri State, they then would play uh, Ohio, Ohio State, State I yeah. believe, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things would have to happen. Um, but that would be uh, that would be something interesting to follow for sure. It would definitely jump up the storylines. And Ari, are you are you going to be in Baton Rouge for for this game? You cut out there. Say that one more time. Are you going to be in Baton Rouge for for this uh, first four game? Absolutely. Yeah, we leave tomorrow. Uh, the ladies will practice on Wednesday. Uh, I believe it's the the Pete, the Pistol Pete Maravich Center is what they call it over there in Baton yep. Rouge, and um, it's going to be my second trip uh, to Baton Rouge. I went when Florida State uh, knocked off LSU for the. Uh, super regional uh, yes. to go to Omaha back in 2019. So I'm looking forward to getting back over there, getting some good uh, good crawfish, and uh, they have uh, great pasta and, and gumbo, and uh, hopefully a couple Seminole wins too. Yeah, I recommend Chimes. I was I was there for that very same super regional Chimes, best restaurant in Baton Rouge. Um, it was it was super packed when I was there. And and where can people tune in and listen to your your radio call? Uh, you can listen to us on 96.5 FM and uh, the FSU Game Day app. Uh, we usually have a pregame show about 25 minutes before the game starts, and uh, we'll be out there, hopefully uh, a deep run, and the Knolls are uh, having some madness, no doubt. Well, best of luck to Florida State women's basketball, and Aria, best of luck to you on the call for hopefully a deep run in the NCAA tournament. All right, fellas, I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Thanks, Aria. Appreciate it, Aria. Yep, thanks. So now, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to keep an eye on Florida State women's basketball and what they do in the women's tournament. Hopefully by next Monday when Gabe and William are back in, they can talk about who Florida State are going to be playing in the second weekend of the women's NCAA tournament. But now let's move over to the men's bracket. Florida State not in this year uh, after a disappointing season full of injuries. They lost a lot of depth mm-hmm. from last year's team. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to you know go through our, our sorrows. But taking a look at the men's bracket, we've got Scott Clements, who's now joined us on our panel here for the second half and Luke Hazen to my left. We're going to kind of go through our picks. Uh, we're not, we're not going to do a whole bracket special. Uh, I know we did a podcast on that last year. We're kind of just focus on maybe some upsets we're looking for and who's going to make a deep run through March Madness. And I guess we'll, we'll start off in the West region. And one upset that I'm kind of keeping an eye out for is uh, maybe Air, or Alabama. 
You know, get okay. upset by by Rutgers. I know Rutgers has put up some big time wins in the Big Ten. They they've played up to their competition the entire year. They were on the bubble. Honestly, they probably, given their resume and some teams that didn't make it, like a Texas A and M, probably shouldn't be here. But they get one of those last spots. They're playing in the first four. They're going to have to knock off um, the. Who, who do they have to be in the first round? Notre Dame, who kind of backed their way into the NCAA tournament. And then I, I kind of like them in an 11-6 upset over over Alabama in the first round this okay. week. Okay, yeah, Alabama's definitely dropped some pretty brutal games this season. They've not been as cons- nearly as consistent as they were last year when they got their heart broken by UCLA, so I can see that. Brett, I'm going to go with Davidson over Michigan State uh, in the West region. Uh, Foster Lawyer, the former Spartan, uh, since he transfers, broken out for Davidson. He's averaging 16.6 points and three assists a game uh, for Davidson. And Michigan State, uh, for for where they are right now, they did not close out the regular season well. They went three and seven in their last ten games before they rebounded, made the semifinals in the Big Ten tournament. But I really like Davidson over Michigan State as an upset in the West region. You've also got Hyun Jung Lee at Davidson, a great yeah. shooter. He's taking a step back in his three-point shooting, but he can do so much. He's a great wing for for this team, and, and they were really the cream of the crop in the A-10 this year, outlasting some... Well, they, they did lose to Richmond but in that conference championship game, but really uh, played great basketball throughout the season. Yeah. Scott, what's your upset in the West bracket? Man, for me, there are a lot of kind of tasty first-round ma- matchups going on in this division, but for me, I'm looking personally at uh, the University of Vermont knocking off the fourth seed uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, Ver- Vermont has a very high-scoring offense. They're uh, top five in the nation in field goal percentage and turnovers percentage as well. That adds this could be a very offensive game could be really, really close, but I I think Vermont has enough that they can pull off the upset here. Yeah, I was a little worried. Florida State played Vermont, and I think a 13-4 matchup a few years ago before they went on and beat Murray State and John Morant, but they played Vermont in that first game, and Vermont's played very well in that America East Conference. They've been the best team in that league for a while, and I think, yeah, that, that's a really good upset spot. Yeah. Moving over to the East region, I've got another team advancing out of the first four, so a team that maybe underperformed the season, so they were one of the last teams in on the bubble, and that's the Indiana Hoosiers. They would have to advance from the first four, and then I've got them beating in a 12-5 matchup the St. Mary's Gales, who played great in the West Coast Conference this year, weren't able to overtake Gonzaga, though, in the conference tournament. They did beat them on the last game of the regular season, though. But ultimately, Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis, I think one of the best players, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. He's playing red hot right now. Indiana looked great in the Big Ten tournament, and I've got them moving into the second round after picking up two wins this week in the NCAA tournament. All right, I like that, I like that. Uh, I'm going to go with San Francisco over Murray State. A lot of people still give Murray State a lot of credit. I mean, they were unbelievable this season. Um, A lot of people still remember from the team with John Morant. Um, But San Francisco also had a really, really strong regular season. They lost in the final to Gonzaga. Um, but they put up a great effort there. Uh, Jamari Bouyea, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, he's averaging 17 points a game this year for San Francisco, so I'd be on the lookout for him uh, to shine against Murray State. It'd definitely be a huge upset. Scott? But yeah, uh, certainly San Francisco-Murray State, that looks like it could be a really close game. I'm keeping my eye on Virginia Tech in Texas. Virginia Tech put on a show over Duke Duke in the ACC turn tournament final just a couple days ago i think they continue that form and that game could be interesting to watch kind of texas blow it again yeah that's like one of those where you like do you really believe in the momentum going into the tournament virginia tech looked great like better than they had all regular season it didn't feel fluky it didn't feel like they were just pulling this out of nowhere it looked like a well-oiled machine we've seen we saw what they could do against florida state this year and then you look at texas 
you know, who lost in that Big Ten or Big Twelve tournament opener against TCU, another very good team. They've lost three straight. They lost at home against Baylor, at Kansas, and on in, in a neutral site against TCU. I know those are three very good teams that are all in this tournament, but Texas is not really where they want to be right now as a six seed. It's their you know their first year under Chris Beard after Shaka Smart left. I thought I, I liked what he did with the program. They went ten and eight in Big Twelve play. Big Twelve probably the best league in the country again this year, mm. uh, but this year I could see them you know being in a really big upset spot. Let's move over to the South region. I've got Chattanooga over Illinois. Watching Chattanooga hit that buzzer beater to go to the tournament to punch their ticket is a reason I'm really excited to root for them in this game against Illinois. I think Illinois, a little bit overrated. They kind of go the way that Kofi Coburn goes. Some days he just doesn't show up or he gets into foul trouble. That's going to put them in a really tough spot. And you've got this this Chattanooga team uh, led by David Jean-Baptiste who averages uh, 14.7 points per game. They've also got Malachi Smith who averages over 20 points a game. And John baptiste the one who hit that that huge three-pointer uh, in that game against Abilene Christian to secure their spot in the tournament. I like them in the 13-4 upset over Illinois. Okay, all right. I like that. I'm going to go with a really shocking one considering how their season went, but I'm going to go with Michigan over Colorado State. For whatever reason, I think that there happens to be one matchup every single year. Maybe this is just off a whim, but I feel like there's a team every year that just avoids the bubble and and probably shouldn't be in the regular tournament uh, like a Michigan. They've obviously been mired in controversy recently with Jawan Howard getting suspended. But I don't know. I I I think that you know the matchups present themselves for Michigan to to upset a, a team like Colorado State. Um, I don't know. I'm going with Michigan over Colorado State as my upset for the South. Do you think what no. went down in that after that game with Wisconsin? Do you think that Michigan and, and Jawan Howard? is using that as some sort of motivational tool within that locker room? Not directly. It can't be directly. I don't think that they would ever, you know, I mean, the University of it. Michigan will never say that, but what do you think happens when the, door, when the doors close in that locker room? I, th- I think that they're secretly all pissed off, and they're yeah. they're definitely rooting against everyone. Or they're, they're, they're having an everyone uh, against us mentality. With that being sure. said, like 17 and 14, I know they played in the Big Ten, but it doesn't really feel like they should be there. They lost against Indiana by five in the Big Ten tournament. Um, probably lucky to be there, but in, in, in really a good place to, you know, if mm-hmm. you're going to go in as an 11 seed, I know Colorado State's a very good basketball team. The Mountain West was a great conference, but I don't know. Michigan seems like they have an easy path to advance in this tournament, a team that was not great throughout the season. Scott? Yeah. I'm sitting here staring at Loyola Chicago, again making it back into the tournament. They've proven now over the last couple of years that they are a threat to anyone who faces them, uh, Sister Jean's 102 years old. She's yeah. still kicking it. I th- I think that Loyola Chicago could, could go pretty far again this year. They are getting hot at the right time. It's their first year under head coach Drew Valentine. We saw Porter Moser leave that job for a, a, a high major job. But Loyola had some struggles in the regular season. You know, you had teams like Missouri State and Drake and Northern Iowa and Valparaiso really step up in big moments in the Missouri Valley. But when it mattered most in that conference tournament, Loyola stepped up, picked up wins against Bradley, against Northern Iowa, and against Drake in that conference championship game. Now they face Ohio State, and if, if they win, you know, it is an upset pick at a 10-7, but I'm interested to see maybe what Vegas thinks about that game um, because Loyola, even without Cameron Crutwig, is a very good basketball team. They've really learned how to you know keep themselves competitive in the Missouri Valley, and I think they have a really good shot. I, I like that one. I think I'll pick that one as well. Um, but going into the Midwest region, the game I really like here is South Dakota State over Providence. Now, 
I'm mostly doing this because I thought we were going to get the 12-5 matchup between South Dakota State and Iowa. These are two of the fastest teams in the country. They put up a lot of points. We'd see a game total at least at 160, I think, had these two teams played. Now, if they both win their first-round matchups, uh, we will see it in round two. Iowa's got to take on Richmond, who's coming off an Atlantic 10 tournament title, and South Dakota State has to pull off the upset against Providence. Uh, Providence, a team, I know Cooley did a really great job with them in the Big East. He won Big East Coach of the Year. But the South Dakota State team, I think in the Summit League, don't get a a lot of the recognition that they deserve. This is a very fast, talented, high-scoring basketball team, and I like them to pull off the upset. All right, I like that, Brett. I am going to go with Miami over USC as my upset uh, in in the South, or sorry, in the Midwest region, um, Miami has definitely had their ups and downs this season. Some really, really good stretches of basketball, um, and I'm I'm going to pick them to beat USC. I think that they can get hot at the right time. Um, a lot of there's still a lot of talent on that team, and usually there's a 10-7 matchup that goes down um, where my um, the 10 beats the seven. So I, I'm going to go with Miami over USC in this one. Scott, yeah, here I have Iowa State over LSU. I Iowa State has an elite defense. They have uh, Isaiah Brockington, who's averaging 17.5 points per game. I'm a little concerned about their production offensively, but ultimately in this first round against LSU, I think I think the Cyclones get it done. In the, in the big storyline, Will Wade fired from LSU, or at least uh, mutually agreed to part mm-hmm. ways. I don't know what the official wording was there after more allegations have come through about that LSU program. Will Wade probably should have already been fired. And one of two things happens. LSU is going to come out super flat in this game against a talented Iowa State team. Or they're going to come out feeling that same sort of the world is against us, the NCAA is against us. We need to play for for our coach if they like him. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. it was like in that locker room. Um, so it could go either way, I think, there. I think LSU could come out with that, that energy after losing their head coach. Or they could come out flat like a team that really has no direction right now. Um, I, it's going to be an interesting matchup in the first round. So to wrap up the show here, I think we're going to move into how we view this tournament going down the line, mm-hmm. um, Elite Eight, Final Four picks. So I'm going to run through my Elite Eight picks right now. So who's going to get to the Elite Eight and who's going to advance to the Final Four? In the West, I like Gonzaga over Duke. I think Duke is a very, very talented program. They've got a lot of uh, momentum, even though Coach K lost that, that um, ACC championship against Virginia Tech and that regular season finale. But there's going to be that every game that Duke plays is going to have that added sense of pressure. It could be Coach K's last game. I think ultimately they make it to the to the lead eight, but Gonzaga, you know, Chet Holmgren, uh, Drew Timmy, they get the job done. I've also got Purdue over Baylor in the East region. Um, Purdue, you look at what Jaden Ivey can do, what Zach Eady can do in the paint. It's really nothing like it in college basketball right now. Matt Painter's done a great job with Purdue. I've got them over the defending national champions. Baylor, Baylor's a team, if they get past Purdue, they can win another national championship. Yeah. I just think they don't match up very well against that Purdue team. So I've got Purdue going to the Final Four. Arizona over Tennessee. Uh, Tommy Lloyd, first-year head coach at Arizona, came from Gonzaga. He was an assistant under Mark Few. They play the same brand of basketball. They play it fast. They play it really well. They might be, for my money, and I guess I'll get to this in a little bit, the best team in the country right now. Then I've also got Wisconsin over Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin, Johnny Davis, Brad Davison, a team with a lot of grit. you know. But Johnny Davis, I think, may be one of the best. He's a Manny Machado lookalike, by the way. I like them over Iowa, Jordan <laughs> Bohannon. Talk about Jordan Bohannon versus Brad Davison, two like 30-year-olds that are still playing in the Big Ten. 
I like them meeting in the, in the Elite Eight, but Wisconsin going to the Final Four. Luke, what are your picks in the Elite Eight? So I have Duke over Gonzaga. I cannot pick. I cannot trust Gonzaga in a big spot. I know they made it to the final last year, um, but that's kind of weird seeing as though Duke hasn't really been able to be trusted in big spots either. And they, they've certainly caught some, some flack over the last couple of weeks as well. Um, but I still think that this Duke team is superbly, supremely talented. Um, and so I have them over Gonzaga. It's going to be a tough matchup for sure. Um, but I see them coming out of there. Um, I have Baylor over Purdue. I think that Baylor's overall roster construction and their ability to shoot the ball uh, ends up uh, being the difference. I also think that they they have the ability to lock down a guy like Jaden Ivey. Um, so I have Baylor over Purdue in that matchup. I have Tennessee over Arizona making the Final Four um, from the uh, the uh, South region. I love this Tennessee team. I thought they were really, really undervalued uh, in where they were seeded. If you believe in, in momentum, bracket. you believe in Tennessee going all the way. Here. Exactly, and I do. And I think that Tennessee's going to beat Arizona despite Arizona having a really successful season. And then I have Auburn over Iowa. I think that Bruce Pearl, for whatever reason, I think that he's one of those steady hands when it comes to March Madness. Um, we've seen Auburn make, make a run to the Final Four before. I think that they they have another one in them. Um, and I, I like this Iowa team as well, but I think when it comes down to it, uh, Auburn and Bruce Pearl's experience and having his guys there in the tournament, I think, ultimately gets them to the Final Four. So I have Duke, Baylor, Tennessee, and Auburn in my Final Four. All right, Scott, let's hear your Elite Eight picks. Who do you got going to the Final Four? All right, so I have Gonzaga over Duke. Duke has proven at every opportunity this year that they can that they fail in big moments. I have Gonzaga moving on. Baylor, Purdue, this is one that I flip-flopped over probably about four or five times on my way over here. Ultimately, I'm a little worried about Purdue's defense. They rank uh, outside top 100 and defensive production, so I'm going with with the Bears in that matchup. I, like Luke, also have Tennessee over Arizona, and then my kind of outside here is going to be Auburn over Kansas. Auburn has a really good basketball team. I think they make it back to the Final Four this year. It's crazy. Outside of the Midwest region, we had the same Elite Eight. We had the same six teams coming from the the West, the East, and, and the South regions, and I, I kind of liked what everybody had to say about those matchups. I think Gonzaga-Duke, outside of Duke making a national championship, like that's going to be the game that everyone's glued to the TV mm-hmm. because the storylines for both those teams, like can Gonzaga get it done? Can Duke you know, win a national championship? Can they make it to the Final Four in Coach K's last season? Can they get to New Orleans? Yeah. That game is, outside of a Duke national title, is going to have like the most eyeballs on it, even more than a Final Four game. Like, can Coach K get there to the Final Four against the number one overall seed in this tournament? That's yeah. certainly going to be, I think, the most watched game of that tournament. But I would also take a look at Bay- Baylor and Purdue, that kind of Elite Eight matchup. If it happens, that could maybe be the most exciting game that we see. Yeah, I think like a, a, a battle of styles right there. Baylor and Moore for their defense. Purdue for the last few years, like high scoring, high flying, and it hasn't changed under Matt Painter. So, yeah, that one, all intriguing matchups. I think we have a really good tournament, and I think it's almost kind of wide open. I think any of the one seeds can win it, but then you look at the three seeds, like we mentioned, Tennessee and Purdue could go on to win it. So let's go into our our final four picks. So I have Gonzaga and Purdue in one matchup, and I've got Gonzaga beating Purdue, getting back to the national title game. Uh, You look at what Mark Few's been able to do. He's been able to replace all the talent that he's lost, and you look at Chet Holmgren, who is potentially going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. I think they power Gonzaga back to the national championship, and that would be 
um, I think, the most exciting game in the tournament, except for the one I'm going to preview in just a second, because I also have Arizona over Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a team I've been very high on throughout <laughs> the season. I know that you know they, they've had some stinkers, and they have the ability to just come out and and get the doors blown off of them, but at their best, they're one of the best teams in the country. I do have Arizona, Tommy Lloyd advancing. And then in the national championship, it's like uh, Padawan versus you know Jedi Master between Mark Few and Tommy Lloyd. Tommy Lloyd is able to implement the same system that Mark Few has had at Gonzaga, but he's been able to do it with Pac-12 talent, and he's been able to do it against a Pac-12 schedule and dominate, get a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And I think the, the roster they've got, I know I just mentioned Chad Holmgren and Drew Timmy, but from 1 to 12, the guys, all, everybody in their rotation at Arizona can beat Gonzaga. So I've got Arizona cutting down the nets at the end of this thing. One shining moment's going to be playing Tommy Lloyd, the future of college basketball. <laughs> all right. Well, I have to peer over to your laptop real quick, Brett, because I mine just died. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I wrote down Baylor over Gonzaga. I meant to say Baylor over Duke. I don't know what got into me there. Uh, <laughs> I have Baylor advancing back to the national championship for the second straight year, trying to repeat, uh, beating Duke, sending Coach K on his way out the door. Uh, ding dong, the witch is dead, I guess. Okay. Um, but then I also have Auburn over Tennessee. I think Bruce Pearl uh, finally gets that Final Four win that escaped him uh, a couple seasons ago against Virginia. They get to the national championship, and they cut down the nets against Baylor. I think that it's that it's Auburn's year. I think Bruce Pearl is finally uh, validated. So my final four, I have uh, Gonzaga over Baylor. This is a rematch of yeah. last year's final. There are a lot of things pull, pulling different ways here, but ultimately I think Gonzaga, just they just have the talent this year, and I think they move on. Mo- moving into Auburn over Tennessee, we've seen this one kind of play out before. However, I am kind of keeping with Auburn in this one. I think if they just keep riding that momentum, then they get it done. Auburn over Tennessee. Bruce Pearl gets one over his old school. With the final, I have Gonzaga and Auburn. I will kind of say this. Over the past 10 years in this tournament, only two title winners have won their conference tournament. That was Villanova in 2017, I believe. And then that was Louisville, who ended up having to vacate that title win for uh, various NCAA violations. But beside the point, I think this year the streak is broken. I like... I like Gonzaga. I think this is the year that uh, Mark Few finally gets the monkey off his back. Gonzaga gets it done over Auburn. And, yeah, that's all she wrote. I love these. All reasonable picks. I don't think anybody was too outlandish, but I thought there was some some good insight there. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Tomahawk Talk next week. It'll be Gabe Tisnes, William Haynes back in these two chairs. I guess they're you know enjoying their spring breaks right now. So. Woo! The, right. the vets had to come in and step it up over spring break. You know, how could I pass up the Tom Brady return episode, the March Madness preview episode? <laughs> it just was too much to pass up. Loved being back in this chair. Loved sitting down here with Luke Hazen, first time in a long time. Yeah. And, and obviously Scott Clemens over on the ones and twos. Also a big thank you to Aria Masudi for calling in, giving us that great insight on Florida State women's basketball who kick off their tournament this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you missed any of the show, you can go back and listen as a podcast. I know Scott's going to go make sure that podcast gets up as soon as possible. You've been listening to WVFS, the voice of Florida State.